Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. According to the latest data, over 41 million people were internally displaced last year due to conflict and violence, and that's according to a new report from the Internal Displacement Monitoring Center. That number is a record high, and it excludes an additional 17 million people who were internally displaced due to a natural disaster. When we say internally displaced, we mean people who were forced to flee their homes but did not cross an international border. This distinguishes those who are internally displaced, or IDPs, from those who would be considered international refugees. This distinction is significant for a few reasons. Uh, For one, while there is robust international law obligating governments to treat international refugees in a certain way, there is not that much that international law or norms say about those who are internally displaced. My guest today, Alexandra Bielak, is director of the Internal Displacement Monitoring Center, which just released its flagship report on global internal displacement. In our conversation, Alexandra Bielak describes the drivers and trends in internal displacement and also explains why cities are becoming a major focal point for interventions to support people who are internally displaced. So, People often refer shorthand to the global refugee crisis, and the data point they often use is that there are 65 million people who are forcibly displaced around the world. What I found so helpful about this conversation is how it helped me sort of disaggregate that number a bit and understand more in granular detail what that number means. So, for example, that 65 million people forcibly displaced actually includes 40 million people internally displaced and 25 million people who are international refugees. That former number, that 40 million number, is obviously much bigger than the number of people who crossed a border. So it's really useful to understand the kind of challenges that these people are are facing. And also the kind of policy solutions that are out there to deal specifically with people who are internally displaced. All right. And now here is my conversation with Alexandra Bielak of the Internal Displacement Monitoring Center. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. Sure. So it's true that the report this year is revealing quite some shocking findings. It's the highest number of Uh, the highest global numbers of people internally displaced by conflict and violence across the world. So we've hit this record number of 41.3 million conflict-related IDPs. 
um, which is really the highest number since we've been reporting on the issue uh, over the last 20 years. Um, and on top, in addition to the to the global number of uh, 41.3 million IDPs, we also continue to report high levels of new displacement every year, both in conflict context, but also in disaster contexts. So we're once again showing that the scale of internal displacement um, across the world is, is huge, that it's growing in, in scale, and that it's becoming a, more and more of a of a complex phenomenon, and yet that it's still not receiving really the the kind of international and, and national um, attention that it deserves. So I know your report breaks down conflict-related IDPs and uh, disaster-related IDPs, like weather events, say. Mm -hmm. um, could, could you describe what is driving or what was driving last year in 2018 the uh, rise in conflict-related IDPs? Sure. I mean, we... Basically, as, as every other year, the highest levels of conflict-related internal displacement are found in sub-Saharan Africa and in the Middle East. And sadly, actually, sub-Saharan Africa was, um, well, many sub-Saharan African countries were the epicenter of either ongoing or new displacement crises. So Ethiopia, uh, which, um, which erupted in intercommunal and ethnic violence um, two years ago, has continued to generate high levels of internal displacement in certain pockets of the country, in West Gedeo, Guji, uh, Benishangul, Gumu, some of the border areas uh, with, with Somalia. Um, so 2.9 million new movements recorded uh, throughout the year 2018. Um, so that's for Ethiopia, but of course, a number of other countries in Africa, from Nigeria to DRC, um, South Sudan, uh, CAR, Somalia continue also to 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 remain high on our on our list of countries of concern. Uh, the DRC in particular, which um, which experienced a new crisis in the Kasai uh, two years ago, um, has just continued um, has continued with cyclical waves of of. of of armed violence, basically, in North Kivu and South Kivu, uh, which made DRC actually one of the countries worst affected in, in 2018. Um, and of course, the Middle East, um, the Middle East continues to, um, to, to, to be one of the main regions um, affected. It was, it was sad to see that um, the highest levels of uh, internal displacement were found um, mostly in cities uh, across Syria um, Libya, uh, Iraq, Yemen. Um, and that is very much also the focus of this year's report is looking at uh, displacement in urban areas and what that actually means in terms of uh, in terms of responses, in terms of patterns as well. So, so can um, you just can you break that mm. down a, a little bit then? So what what do you mean when you say displacement within cities? Is this someone who perhaps like was forced to move from, you know, their house, their apartment in one neighborhood to another? Like, what do you mean when you when you say exactly. displacement in, in cities? Well, we, we mean, first of all, the, the recognition of the reality that uh, the reality of urban warfare, really, that cities are, um, you know, targeted and, and are, are bombed and uh, the, the levels of destruction uh, in cities are particularly high in, in countries like Syria um, and, and has been, of course, in the past as well in, in Iraq. Um, so 
so the triggers of displacement and the and the kinds of um, violent events uh, that can cause people to to leave their homes simply because the physical destruction to their home does, does not allow them to stay in their home anymore is is really a reality. But then it's also these are also places where you see repeated patterns of displacement where people who were already IDPs who'd already um, perhaps even fled to the city from a rural area in search of safe, safety, had to then flee again because the city itself became a place of, of conflict and, and violence. Um, so, so what the report shows is that cities increasingly are becoming places that people flee to. So they're places where people seek refuge, whether they're fleeing conflict or in some cases disasters, they tend to go to cities because that's what they see as areas where they're going to find opportunities, not just for protection, but also for employment and, and for, you know, for, for some kind of livelihoods. But they're also places where all sorts of other risks accumulate. So in the case of the Middle East, yes, you're looking at physical um, threats to safety and security, but, but in other places like in Asia, you know, just sort of urban um, density, you know, population density in cities and, and other forms of, you know, natural hazards, for example, that, that, are, that accumulate often in cities mean that the city itself then became, becomes a place that can generate displacement and that people have to flee away from or have to flee within. Um, can you talk a little bit uh, about trends that this report uh, showed around disaster-related, natural disaster-related displacement? I, I was interested, for example, to see that um, the United States was responsible for 1.2 million uh, people internally displaced due to natural disasters in 2018. Mm. Yes, yeah, so the the majority of the disaster related displacement so out of the 16 the 17.2 million new displacements that we recorded in relation to disasters the majority were weather related so 16.1 million are, are weather related and by weather related i mean either linked to floods storms or, or cyclones, hurricanes, uh, and typhoons, um, and then to a, and to a lesser extent, then uh, other forms of, of of weather hazards like droughts, wildfires, um, landslides, and extreme temperatures. Um, so, so the majority very much climate related, which means that um, some of the countries most exposed to these types of hazards are predominantly, as true, found in, in Asia, Southeast Asia and, and, and South Asia. And so you can see from our, from our numbers that the countries worst affected again in 2018 were uh, the Philippines, China and India. And many of those numbers are, of course, linked to government evacuations. So government that are governments that that are able to uh, preemptively evacuate people in the face of disasters and to save lives. But again, it just shows that a huge numbers of people are exposed to those hazards. And it's true, as you say, that the um, an interesting trend uh, is, is that, well, not an interesting trend, but an interesting finding is that um, the US, you know, so higher income countries are also affected by these types of, of hazards. In the US, it was particularly driven by the wildfires in California, whereas in previous years, and this isn't just a one-off event, in previous years, we had reported on um, the hurricane season. And uh, so again, it shows um, that governments are you know, whether high income or low income, governments are having to deal with the effects uh, with, with climate impact and having to um, prepare for or respond to these disasters by evacuating their populations, which is a form of displacement. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's interesting to me, though, that um, you know, the data you're collecting around weather related disasters is, 
you know, just one index, one indices of of the impact of of climate change on people's lives. It's like one, it's it, it just like one one more example of of how these kind of disasters affect people's lives. And it's good. It's sort of an interesting tool, I think, to measure uh, the mm. impact of climate related disaster. Absolutely, and it's although the data that we have um, has not, you know, is, is not yet. Um, I would say historically sufficient to be able to draw definitive trends, but what we what we do show through our, our data is that the 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 risk of someone becoming displaced by a disaster has certainly increased over the last forty years, and it's only going to we can only infer that it will continue to increase with the impacts of climate change in the future as climate change makes those weather events more and more extreme. Uh, in the future, and when and as the the impacts become more severe, and the frequency of the events also uh, increase, so this is very much a call for much more investment on the, of course, on the preparedness side and on the on the um, the disaster risk reduction side, but also on the climate change, um, you know, adaptation side as well. Can you talk a little bit about how you collect uh, the data for this report? Yes, the IDMC's um, approach, as, as you know, we, we don't actually collect the data ourselves. Our role is to um, is to analyze all the data that is that is out there and to uh, and to analyze it uh, according to a very consistent and, and systematic set of rules. So we take all the data that that can be collected, and it varies hugely from from country to country, from situation to situation. In some cases, we use uh, data that is collected for humanitarian planning purposes by by UN agencies. That's particularly the case in in crises contexts and in in, in humanitarian emergencies like the, those that that I've talked about in sub-Saharan Africa or in the Middle East. Um, in other cases, we use government data when it's available. So that's very much the case in a disaster context with uh, when when you're t- looking at countries that are actually tracking people displaced, whether it's the US, the Philippines, Indonesia, etc. Um, and countries that actually have strong um, databases. And then in other in other contexts where there is no UN agency uh, uh, present on the ground or where the, the government itself does not collect the data, we rely on other sources of, of data that we, we can get our hands on, whether it's a, um, a civil society report, a media report. Um, in other in other contexts, we may um, we may use other uh, types of information from satellite images, from mobile phone data. We use that far less often, and and really when there's when there's nothing else. But all of which to say that we we look at all the data that is available, uh, and 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 we uh, uh, analyze it um, according to this the same set of rules, and we come up with what we consider to be the best uh, estimate. So. What's the purpose of creating a, a data set like like yours? Like why why sort of undergo this exercise? Well, because we think that this is um, you know internal displacement is an issue that cuts across so many other global challenges. Like I said, from from climate change to sustainable development to uh, disaster risk reduction, to state building, um, to, you know, urban planning. So given how um, how important the issue is globally, uh, we believe that it's very important for governments to be able to track the progress that they're uh, making on this topic so that they can also um, um, evaluate 
the extent to which um, the extent to which internal displacement is either is maybe hampering their commitments and their objectives under other frameworks, other policy frameworks that they've committed to, like the SDGs. Uh, for example, so for us, it's about it's about setting the setting the global baseline, and giving tools to governments to set their longer term uh, objectives and to measure their achievements of the of these objectives uh, according to certain a certain number of indicators. And without good data, you you just can't do that. Um, so for us, it's it, it's really a, a, a huge contribution that we're making, or that we hope that we're making at least. To the to the measurement of progress under under global uh, development goals, and I should say, as a journalist, you know, I'm a consumer of reports like these. And what I find so useful about your report is, you know, again, it's fo- focus on internal displacement as opposed to cross border refugee displacements, which, um, you know, as as I think many listeners know. When a person who is displaced crosses an international border, more likely than not, they're given, you know, some refugee status, which affords them some rights under international law and protections under international law and the refugee convention. That does not exist uh, with people who are internally displaced. Uh, and so to me, at least the focus on internal displacement um, is a useful, I think, reminder that, you know, the individual experience may be similar in that they've been forced from their home, but if you have not crossed a border, the international community's obligations to you don't really exist. Well, I think it's it, it, there. There are a number of things uh, that, that are true in, in what you've just said. First of all, in terms of the in terms of the scale, it's true that publishing this data um, on a regular basis, I think, is a very strong reminder to the international community that there's a huge part of the global displacement and sort of migration picture that is consistently missing from the debates. And that is indeed the issue of internal displacement. It's very rare when you hear debates, particularly the policy debates and, and even what, what get gets picked up in the media, it's very rare to hear people um, connecting refugees or international migrants to uh, IDPs. And we have to remind that commun- that international community that many of the refugees that we're seeing now arriving at the at the doorsteps of, of Europe or the US started off their journeys in, uh, as IDPs. And the only reason why they crossed the border and made their way to industrialized countries or tried to make their way to industrialized countries was because they didn't get the protection and the assistance that they needed at home. So just in terms of, of, of scale, the scale of the issue as well, just the numbers are much are much higher. There are many more IDPs than, than there are refugees in, in the world right now. And I think it's really important to, 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 to keep reminding uh, our, you know, our, the readers of our report, but the, the, the international community more generally. Um, and I think it's true that some of the research that we've published over the years has clearly demonstrated the links between internal displacement and cross-border movements. Uh, we have shown that there is a point uh, in, a, in a displacement crisis during at which someone has no other choice but to leave their country because they're not because they're not um, you know uh, being yeah they're not being assisted in the in the same way as they would do if they did become a refugee. Having said that. It doesn't necess- It doesn't automatically mean, you know, when you cross the bo- border, that you are, uh, you know, that you are necessarily going to get picked up, you know, by UNHCR or, or yeah. you know, fall un- 
under IOM's uh, protection uh, agenda either. So it's not to say that uh, that there aren't also huge uh, vulnerabilities when it comes to refugees and migrants, but certainly the vulnerability levels and the levels of severity that we've seen in many of the displacement situations that we monitor are extremely high in an IDP context. So you mentioned earlier that uh, the report this year focuses a lot on cities and municipalities. Can you talk a little bit about an example or two of cities or municipal authorities sort of approaching this um, problem, this challenge of IDPs in a useful way that are making strides that are sort of enacting policies that could be an example for the rest of the world? Hmm. Well, it was interesting when we launched the uh, the report here in Geneva. We um, we had someone from um, from the municipality of Rikuzen-Takata in Japan, one of the many uh, cities that was uh, affected, or in this case, entirely destroyed by the the tsunami in 2011. Um, and and we looked at what it actually takes for. Um, well, in this case, a city, but for for a country in general to 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 respond when it has been hit by such a massive disaster that led to not just the death but also the displacement of thousands of of people, and how much it takes to rebuild a city in a way that will allow a that will allow allow people to return within a relatively short period of time. In this case, six, seven, eight years. Um, but that will allow them to to return and to and to reintegrate and rebuild a community. And it's and we we saw, I mean, from his presentation, what a massive investment that that represents, and how um, and and how even for an industrialized country like Japan, there are a number of challenges uh, involved that aren't just financial, but are also hugely you know logistical, but also just human challenges, you know, linked to rebuilding communities. Um, and so there were a lot of um, very interesting examples that came out of that presentation, but that also made it very clear that it's going to be in those countries that are much more fragile and that don't have the same kinds of resources, uh, that that process of rebuilding and reintegrating or ending people's displacement uh, concretely is going to be far more challenging. And the example of Mozambique with Cyclone Idai, you know, of course, springs to mind right now where we, we can only imagine that the not just the cities, but that just all the areas affected are going to take years, if not decades, to, to rebuild, and that that displacement, the displacement that is ongoing right now, is going to become very protracted and, and long-term. Um, so th- there are examples um, across the world of uh, cities in, in Latin America, uh, in Ukraine, you know, we've uh, we, we've we've documented a number of examples in the in the report where uh, a few little efforts are made at the municipal level for um, recognizing that IDPs don't necessarily uh, want to or can or they don't they can't necessarily return to their areas of origin, and that's why they need to be given solutions. They need to be offered solutions at the municipal level where they have uh, where they have settled and those solutions are very much um are very much uh, linked to, I would say, two big priorities. One is the issue of housing. Uh, many IDPs who who settle in city need to have access to affordable housing and to quality housing. Uh, and that means that they need to be able to to um, to to access employment, which is the second big priority. They need to have a source of income so that they can rent uh, adequate and affordable housing in a city. And there are a number of schemes that have been developed by uh, cities in Latin America. Um, like I said. In the, in, in the Ukraine, um, where they have uh, 
they have uh, given, um, they have um, allowed IDPs to incrementally move from a very um, informal uh, situation, uh, informal ownership of their own land, to a more formal, uh, a for more formal process of either land or, or um, sort of apartment ownership. And those are some of the examples that we want to draw on to to encourage also uh, municipalities and countries in general to think about local integration as a solution to displacement as much as return, because in some cases, uh, return is simply not an option. It sounds like a lot of the innovation is happening at that that local level, municipal mm. level. Yes, it's absolutely, and I think that innovation has already been recognized a lot in the in the refugee um, discourse and in the refugee kind of response sector, uh, where local mayors have have become you know much more prominent actors on the scene of of uh, sort of humanitarian response, but also longer term development responses. And by publishing and focusing our report on urban internal displacement, we wanted to give the same sort of uh, prominence to this issue, including in an internal displacement context, which has been much less talked about than than, than refugee uh, refugee contexts. Uh, well, Alexandra, thank you so much for your time and for the report. You're very welcome. Thanks, Mark. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Alexandra Bielak. That was very helpful. And quick note, if you are a regular listener to the show, if you love this show, please leave a review on iTunes. Leaving a review on iTunes is a great way to help increase the audience of this show and in turn help uh, increase the potential that uh, the show can be a sustainable media enterprise. The idea is that uh, iTunes ranks higher those podcasts that have received a number of reviews. So please uh, leave a review. It helps the show. All right. We'll see you next time. Bye.